This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Talk some football now. A week from today, Super Bowl 57, Glendale, Arizona, the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. And also underway, a monumentally important offseason for both New York football teams, the Giants and the Jets. Patty Trainer, who covers the Giants for Sports Illustrated, also hosts the Locked on Giants podcast, gives us a couple of minutes on this Sunday afternoon. Patty, great to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. First off, I want to know, what was it like for you working deep into January this year and not trying to figure out who the next coach or general manager or quarterback is going to be of this franchise? Oh, gosh, it was great. I mean, I was just saying to somebody else that um, it was nice to not have to uh, to start doing draft prep and free agency prep at, uh, you know, the, the beginning of November. And it's funny because a lot of people along the lines, they would ask me draft questions, and I'd be like, I'm not there yet. I haven't started my draft prep yet because the Giants are playing meaningful football. So it was really exciting, and I enjoyed it. Same thing here. Uh, the last four or five years hosting shows in December and January has been rough, but not so this year. But, all you know, I mentioned coach and general manager. You don't have to worry about that. Quarterback is a is a different question because it's not 100% – signed, sealed, and delivered. So we'll start there, Patty. As the Giants get into this offseason, what is the first major move that you expect to be made when you look at the big names, Jones and, and Saquon and Dexter Lawrence, and perhaps someone I didn't mention? Yeah, I think they have to get Daniel Jones taken care of first because if they don't, then they're going to have to use that franchise tag on him. And I don't think they really want to go that direction. It's going to cost them upwards of $32 million if they have to franchise Daniel Jones, if they don't get a deal done with him. And that means potentially not being able to use the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley. So I think that's the priority there. Now, uh, with Barkley, um, I do think they want him back. I don't think they want him back at Christian McCaffrey, APY, which is $16 million. I think somewhere in the 12 to $13 million range, APY is what's, what maybe they're looking at. So um, I think they would like to have him back. And Dexter Lawrence... You know, they have him under contract for another year, but I think at some point they'd like to maybe extend that deal because that will allow them to lower that option year uh, cap hit against their 2022 cap. Is it possible, Patty, to sign Jones and Barkley and Lawrence all this offseason and not use the franchise tag on any of them? Um, yeah, it's absolutely possible. I mean, time's, time's a ticking, though, um, you know, you need both. Look, you always need two sides to make a contract. So you can't have, you know, for example, Saquon Barkley's side saying, "Well, we don't want 13 million. We want 16 million." I mean, if you're if you have that impact, if you have a gulf between the two sides, then yeah, it's going to get a little sticky. But you know, if both sides are on the same page and they're in agreement regarding value and length and all that stuff. You absolutely can get it done because I think the deadline to use the tag, if I'm not mistaken, is March 7th. So there's still enough time, but uh, it goes quickly. So it's, It certainly does. Um, you go back to after the Minnesota game, uh, it felt like Daniel Jones could have written a blank check at that point. But then, you know, we had the Philly game. Obviously, the Giants were overmatched talent-wise in that game. And now we've had a couple of weeks to reflect on Jones's season as a whole. So has the market, the perceived market value of Daniel Jones settled down a little bit since where we were after that Vikings game? You know, it's going to be interesting with Daniel Jones because I think when you look at him, and I've made this comparison before, this is a brand-new system for him. 
And everything that they asked him to do within the system, he did. That said, you know, there's certainly room for him to grow and develop. Is, is he, you know, of elite status yet? No, he's not there yet. They're still, you know, they've got to do more explosive plays. They've got to, you know, the scoring, if you look at the scoring, it wasn't really, you know, eye-popping, if you will. So that said, there are also a lot of teams around the league that need quarterbacks. And, um, you know, if Daniel were to hit the open market, I would not be stunned if maybe some of these teams, especially teams that are starting over with new coaches, maybe uh, make a pitch for him. Now, I think it would behoove Daniel to return to the set, you know, for year two in the same system. He hasn't really had that, if you think about it, uh, through his career. He hasn't had that stability. So if you're Daniel, why would you want to start over again? You know, money notwithstanding here. So um, I do think that he'll be back with the Giants. I'm not sure, you know, exactly what the APY is going to be. I, I think it's going to be at least $32 million, which is the, the franchise tag, and uh, just see what he can do moving forward. Patty Trana covers the Giants for Sports Illustrated. Patty, you're, you're in the facility all the time. Do you get the sense that Jones – now, I, I never heard that he was, but do you ever get the sense that Jones is annoyed or frustrated that the Giants didn't believe in him, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, and perhaps that could be a factor in some way during these negotiations? I don't think so. I mean, it would be nat- it would be natural if he did. I mean, you know, because who amongst us wants our, our bosses to doubt us and doubt our worth? So, but, you know, look, there were one or two things Jones could have done. He could have sat there and, and pouted, or he could have just put his nose to the grindstone and got got to work and just worked his tail off. He chose to put his nose to the grindstone and, and work his tail off. So, you know, sometimes when, when somebody, I don't want to say rejects, because maybe that's not the right word, but in a case like that, you, you're kind of motivated even further to say, okay, I'll show you if you don't think I'm really worth, you know, that fifth your option. I'm going to show you how much worth, I'm, uh, how much value I, I bring to your organization. So that's what I think he brought. But he's kind of even keeled. You know, he keeps a lot to himself. You know, he's, he's the perfect Eli Manning clone in that regard, and that you never really know what he's thinking. And I think he said and he did all the right things and, and uh, didn't make it about himself. No, it is amazing the similarities uh, since day one when they were teammates, Patty. Um, you're doing your – uh, grades from uh, for each unit from the season. I've seen you rolling that out on Twitter. Um, what units? Look, we know it's not a finished product. We saw that firsthand in the Philadelphia playoff game. All right. So, what units, as good as this season was, in your mind, what units on this team are most in need of an upgrade? Well, you could start for sure with inside linebacker. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but how how tiresome is it now to see the middle of the field so wide open, seemingly all the time? So that's a definite must. Receiver, that's that's a that's a, a must, I think, in my opinion. I mean, it's for as productive as the Giants receivers, you know, three guys that I think at the beginning of the year, if you had said, oh, they would be the top receivers on the Giants, people would have said, no way. I think you've got to add talent to that group as well. You've got to do something at cornerback. I mean, we saw what happened when Adoree Jackson got injured, how there were struggles recovering opponents' uh, number one receivers. Aaron Robinson, you know, they plugged him in at, at the outside receiver after they had to cut James Bradbury, and I never really thought that was a good fit. So they've got to address there. They've got to get depth on the defensive line because you just cannot have Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams playing 80 5% plus at the snaps every week. You're going to wear those two guys out. 
you know, and then offensively, you know, maybe you want to look to get an offensive center for your long term because I think right now they have some stopgap solutions. You probably want to add another uh, tight end to the mix. Um, you know, so those are some of the positions that I think jump, jump to mind as, as to where they can add some talent. I agree with everything you said, which makes it even more amazing that they had the season they had with all of those holes. But, you know, good coaching, obviously some fortuitous bounces earlier in the season and some timely play by Jones certainly helped in that area. Patty Trainer covers the Giants for Sports Illustrated. You can also listen to her uh, podcast that she hosts, Locked on Giants. Um, wide receiver of all those areas you mentioned, Patty, the most visible, obviously. It's one of the glamour positions in the sport, and it almost became kind of a badge of honor for this team, if you will, late in the season, the hodgepodge that they uh, had out there every game, and the fact that, especially in the case of Isaiah Hodgins, really produced late in the season. But as they look to fortify that position, do you think it's through the draft? Do you think it's through free agency or a combination? You know, that's a tricky one because right now I think you can make a case that the free agency crop that is projected as of right now, not very strong. The draft class, it's interesting. I, I just did an interview with, with a couple people who were down at the Senior Bowl, and I didn't get a warm and fuzzy feeling that there was a, that, that the draft class is loaded with bona fide number one receivers. So I'll throw out another option. I don't think they'll go this route, but I'll just throw it out there. What about a potential trade? You know, do they maybe look to get a DeAndre Hopkins, for example? Do they maybe see if T. Higgins is available? The drawback, obviously, is if you trade for a receiver, now you got to pay him. So not only are you giving up draft assets, you now have to pay the guy you know, probably a million dollars, especially since Hopkins wants a new deal. Higgins is coming to the end of his rookie deal. So I think it's going to probably be a combination. I could see them maybe, you know, getting another receiver via the draft, maybe not necessarily a number one, because I don't know if there really is a consensus number one there. And maybe adding, you know, a veteran, because, you know, Wandale Robinson, he was injured um, late, late in the season, so who knows if he's going to be ready to roll come opening day next year. Um, Isaiah Hodgins was a nice find, but I don't think he's a number one receiver. And they just, who knows, they might have to go without a, bon a bona fide number one receiver this year because, you know, rather than force the guy into a, into a, you know, a square peg into a round hole, maybe you just say, okay, we'll just get by with what we've got and we'll just continue to look. Well, to your point, I mean, two teams tried that last offseason, right? The Eagles did it, and that's worked out tremendously with A.J. Brown. And then the Cardinals tried to do it with Hollywood Brown, and that did not have the same results. I think a lot of people at the time thought the Cardinals overpaid in that deal. But I guess what you're saying is the ideal scenario would be what has transpired in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, if you could pull it off. I mean, Buffalo did it too, don't forget. When they, that's right. When they acquired Dick. You know, and Joe Shane was on that staff, don't forget. So you, it, it can be done, but, you know, then if you're the Giants, they're not one player away from, from making a run right now. I think they have a lot of holes that they need to address. So you've got to weigh your pros and cons here and say, okay, do we really want to give up premium assets that we can maybe use to fill the linebacker spot or the quarterback spot or interior linemen? in favor of one position that we're not only going to have to give up these assets, we're also going to have to pay for in terms of a new contract. And I just don't know that you can make that case right now. 
only one draft to go by so far for Joe Shane, but based on what he did last year, what sort of grade would you give? How would you judge his drafting ability based on what you've seen? I think on paper, he did a really good job. The problem with the draft questions is, I think, with the exception of Michael McFadden, the linebacker, they all dealt with injuries, which stunted their development in some way, shape, or form. So I'm inclined to give get the grade based on, on you know what we saw. I'm inclined to give this class an incomplete grade because everybody dealt with injuries, but there is some very intriguing talent. I think Kayvon Thibodeau, the, the fifth overall pick in the draft, might not have had the sack numbers or, or, or the sexy stats, as they call them, but he influenced plays. You could see it. Evan Neal had his struggles, um, but you know what? He was injured. You could see that there was a difference in his technique once he came back from that knee injury, which created some struggles. And remember, Andrew Thomas also struggled as a rookie, too, and he got better. So you have hope there. And, you know, getting some of these guys back, you know, I think they have some good value picks. That kid, Darian Beavers, that they took in the sixth round, an inside linebacker was looking like a stud before he ripped up his knee. Um, so it, 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 it's kind of hard to give a definitive grade, but on paper, there's a lot to be encouraged by. And I think Joe Shane has his team going in the right direction. As of today, you expect Jones to be the quarterback next year, right? Yes. Do you expect Saquon back? Oh, 50-50 right now. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say for sure. Um, I, the two sides have to get get closer. I mean, from what I understand, there's a, a significant gap between what Saquon's side thinks he's worth and what the Giants think he's worth. And if they could somehow meet somewhere in the middle, um, then I could see him being back. But if not, you know, they, they, the Giants got to ask themselves, can we replace his production? Because, you know, again, you look at Saquon on film and – there were enough times this year, even though his yardage was up and he ran well and everything like that, he still wasn't quite running like he, he was in, in his rookie season when he was breaking tackles and avoiding guys. I mean, there was far too many times this year, I think, where, you know, they, he was too easily brought down by his ankles. So, he, you know, it was a bounce-back year, yes. I don't want to take that away from him. But, you know, running back, the more mileage they put on their legs, and especially when they have injuries – you have to ask yourself if it's smart to really pay them big money and lock them up for, you know, more than like two, three years, especially when you figure Saquon's going to be, what, 29 by the time he would end a three-year deal. So it's a balancing act, and I'm not so sure, you know, how that's going to work out, but I hope he's back. I mean, look, he's a, he's a great representative of the franchise, and, and, and I think that they would like to have him back. That's what makes this a very difficult business. What, one more thing. You mentioned this earlier. Explain the benefit to the Giants of signing Dexter Lawrence to an extension this offseason. Yeah, so what it would do is it would lower his cap hit. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head what his cap number is, but uh, let, let, let's just use a round number. So let's say his cap hit is uh, $10 million, which is kind of big. It's kind of a big cap hit. So if you can get him on a lower deal – what you can do is you can, you know, give him a low base salary, then he gets a signing bonus, which prorates over the life of the contract. Plus, you don't have to worry about, you know, locking him up for the long term. So by the time it's all said and done, you can technically lower his cap hit, which frees up money to do other things that you need to do. 
Patty, great stuff. I appreciate you taking the time this morning. It's going to be an interesting offseason for sure, and we'll be following your coverage. Thanks. Thanks so much. Patty Trainer, who covers the Giants for Sports Illustrated. Lot there, also hosts the Locked On uh, Giants podcast. So, uh, yeah, I mean, football's a tough business. I mean, a really tough business because Saquon Barkley, as a player and a person, you couldn't ask for anything more, right? Um, but he's battled injuries, and he's at a position right now that, unfortunately for him, is not valued nearly the same way as it was five years ago or ten years ago. But everything else across the board, and Patty said it, you know, his production not the same as it was his rookie year. I think we all saw that, but still a highly productive player. Uh, you wouldn't want a better guy. or You couldn't pick a better guy to represent your franchise, and I think that's something he has uh, taken extremely seriously during his five seasons here in New York. So that's going to be a really tough call. And look, anybody who knows Saquon or has watched him or who has listened to him, this is an extremely, extremely prideful guy. And he knows that he is the most talented running back in the NFL. That's how he carries himself. So the way he values himself and the way his quote-unquote camp values him is probably going to be different than most NFL teams value a running back right now. Now, will there be that one team that wants to make a splash and bring him in and make him an offer that he can't refuse? There might be. And that's why I agree when Patty says it's 50-50, whether or not he'll be back in a Giants uniform next season. So it's going to be an interesting offseason. The other thing about the Giants is this. Look, if the Giants and Joe Shane and Brian Dable came in last year and showed progress and didn't make the playoffs, and then next year made the playoffs and lost in the wild card round, I think every Giants fan would have signed for that in a second. But the expectations have now changed. The Giants made the playoffs in year one. The Giants won a playoff game in year one. So now if you go to the playoffs next year and you lose in the wild card round, that's a step back. So how are fans going to handle that? Will that be considered a disappointment? I mean, look, you have to see how the season plays out and the manner in which they lose that wild card game in the hypothetical that I'm presenting right now. But the fact of the matter is the expectations for this franchise have clearly changed based on their early success. And in my experience, especially here in New York, you don't get extra credit for doing it quicker in your first year. All right, if they take a step back, Next year, most people aren't going to be saying, yeah, but they were better than we expected in year one. No, 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 no. Now we, we start right now. Expectations are what they are right now. That's how, that's how it works with fans. That's how it works with football fans. And that's how it works with New York fans. So that's going to be part of the equation, too, as we continue to discuss uh, this Giants franchise as it looks to continue to improve because it was a great season by any statistical measure, okay? It was a great season going to the playoffs, uh, being in meaningful games in December, winning a playoff game. But then, of course, the way it ended, you saw just how far they have to go to get to the level where they were 10, 15 years ago when Eli Manning was winning two Super Bowls here in New York. All right, we'll get back to your calls. We uh, will continue to discuss uh, the Giants and the Jets offseason. Some thoughts on Aaron Rodgers coming up. Uh, and, of course, the basketball trade deadline, four or five days away. Kyrie Irving... Has he played his last game in Brooklyn? And what might the Knicks do leading up to Thursday's 3 p.m. deadline? It's all here on 98.7 ESPN New York. 
This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe with you. We'll open back up the phone lines. Patty Trainer was great giving us all of her insight into the Giants offseason. It's a very important offseason for the Giants and a very important offseason for the Jets as well. Uh, for the Jets, it's a little more clear-cut. It's funny how the two teams both had surprisingly successful seasons. Obviously, uh, the Giants was more successful as it turned out. Uh, but when you look at the offseason, which team is in better shape top to bottom? You can make a very, very strong case. It's the Jets, despite the way last season finished for both teams. Uh, the Giants still have a lot of holes to fill. I think their 9-7-1 and record and their playoff victory in Minnesota was largely a byproduct of a really good first-year head coach connecting with his quarterback and tapping into what potential hadn't been previously tapped into. Some really good late-game decision-making. There were a lot of close games that this team played, and they won far more often than they didn't in those games. And then they had some luck. Look, you go back to week one in Tennessee, the Titans miss a field goal at the buzzer. Giants could have easily lost that game. Uh, you go to the Ravens game in October, and Lamar Jackson melting down over the last five minutes and throwing just an awful interception. And the Giants coming back from 10 points down in the fourth quarter to win that game. And then, of course, the game that I think was the biggest game of the season because it turned their whole season around, the Sunday night game in Washington against the Commanders. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau makes the huge scoop and score in the first half. And then that game ends on an incomplete pass in the end zone by Washington that could have been called a pass interference against the Giants. You flip those three games, flip those three games, and it's a 6-10-1 season. And it still would have been considered on the right track. But the Giants had an easy schedule. They took advantage of that. Next year, the schedule will be much more difficult. Now, the good news for the Giants, because they were in such a tough division, they still get the third-place schedule because they had, obviously, the Eagles and the Cowboys ahead of them. But the NFC East, from what I saw, is expected to have the most difficult schedule next year among all divisions in the NFL. So very important offseason for the Giants and for the Jets. Let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776 and check in with Andy in New Jersey, who has been waiting patiently. Andy, how you doing today? If you're worried about who you're playing, you're not really a good team. Go Pack Go. Great show. Great analyzations of everything. Uh, before I get to the Knicks and the Jets uh, on Kyrie Irving, um, he's pushing a trade because that's the only chance for him to get a max contract. He ain't getting one with the Nets. I mean, the Nets are a goofball organization, but I'm sure he won't see that over there. And um, with the with the Knicks, I mean, you brought up the 90s. It, it really started in 88 when they brought in Oakley. And uh, the thing, they never had the Knicks of that era, never had a player who could create his own shot. Your big scorer was a center. There's nothing wrong with that, providing you have another guy who can, you know, take the ball to the hoop, can bring it, fast break it, and the Knicks didn't have it. The, uh, the teams that won the championships did have that in the 90s. And uh, the thing with the, uh, with, the, uh, with the Knicks currently – you could say you can analyze all you want. It's obvious that it's a team that's two or three players short, but they're missing really a real great player that what you need in the NBA today to win, and at least a supporting cast of two or three other guys who are really good players. The Knicks do not have that right now, and that's why they just limber around where they are. They could easily go on a five-game winning streak as easy as they can go on a five-game losing streak. This team is not really a playoff team it's only an artificial version of it because there's so many teams that make the playoffs now on to the jets 
listen, why settle for a car when you can get a, a Rolls or a Bentley? Come on, Aaron Rodgers is the guy you want. Jet fans are sick and tired of five-year plans, 10-year plans. We're on a 53-year plan, right, with the last time the Jets won the Super Bowl before I was born, before most of the fans of the Jets were born now. You know, number 12 walks up to that line of scrimmage this year. They're going to be guys, they're going to freak out when they see that. They're going to think it's Joe Willie. But um, you have to have, look at these guys in the playoffs now, all the quarterbacks who were in there are injured or were injured recently. It looks to me you need two quarterbacks who can play this game if you want to go deep into the playoffs. These guys are injured, the quarterbacks, because you don't have real good offensive lines. And if you don't have good offensive lines, your quarterback has to be able to run, which really is a wrong thing because a quarterback is really a passer and a guy who hands off the ball. So if you have that situation, you better build that offensive line. Chiefs did it a couple of years ago. They built it up, but still their, their quarterback gets injured. So the, the bottom line is if your offense wants to move, it needs an offensive line, and we know the quarterback situation. We, we've heard that song and dance all the time. And defense – Exhibit A is out in San Francisco. Listen, Nick Bozer is a beast, but if he has 18 sacks and the other guys on the offensive line have three, our defensive line have five, you need someone else there who can rush the quarterback, who can balance it, or they're going to just run away from Nick Bozer. They're going to double, triple team him, and you're, you're not going to have that balance. You need two great pass rushes if you want to win in this league and disrupt the other team's offense. Do I have? I love that that line. Go, Pat. Go, Pat. You're doing a great job. Any follow-ups? Any questions you want to ask me? You want to pry? I'm a former historian of sports. I'll go back to the 20s and 30s if you want. Any questions? I'm good, Andy. I'm going to address some of what you said because I think a lot of it makes sense, and I appreciate the call uh, and the insight because you did a good job there. Here's the thing. It's a no-brainer for me as well for the Jets. You've got to get Aaron Rodgers. The way to win in the NFL uh, is to win either with a quarterback on his rookie deal so that you can uh, fill in around him with a lot of high-priced talent before you have to pay the quarterback. Or the other way is if you drafted so well that you actually have a lot of talent sprinkled throughout your roster before you have to pay all of them, and then you can actually splurge on a high-priced quarterback. And that is the situation that faces the Jets right now. And Brian Costello in the post today made a great point in his column uh, extolling the Jets to do whatever it takes to bring in Aaron Rodgers. The Jets were in a similar situation two years ago, and Aaron Rodgers was perhaps on his way out of Green Bay two years ago. And at that time, the thought of bringing Aaron Rodgers to the Jets was the furthest thing from anybody's mind because why would he have wanted to come to that team, a Jets team that had just picked second in the draft? Why would he ever want to come there? Because the infrastructure was not there. Well, that has changed probably faster than anybody could have hoped for, and this is the paradox of Joe Douglas's time as general manager. It's amazing how well he has filled out this roster with young talent in the secondary, at wide receiver, on the offensive line, although that can still use some work, on the defensive line, at running back. I mean, everywhere you look on this roster, and then he's done all of that, and he whiffed so spectacularly at the most important position with Zach Wilson. Bring in Aaron Rodgers. Seriously, whatever it takes, all right? Very few general managers hit on as many draft picks, and let's take Wilson out of the equation for now because if the Jets are going to be a playoff team next year, I don't think Wilson is a part of the equation. I'm not saying he's not on the roster. 
I do think he's going to be on the roster, but he's not a part of the equation on the field that will get them to the playoffs. All right? The percentage outside of Wilson that Joe Douglas hit on with his picks is so high that you can trade some of your draft capital, whatever it's going to take, whether it's a first this year and a first next year, or a first this year and a second, or a first and a conditional second or a conditional third. Whatever it is, you can now, and sacrifice is the wrong word because it's not a sacrifice, because you're getting Aaron Rodgers. You can spend that to bring in Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers even showed with his run at the end of the season the guy could still play. He's in great shape. He's still mobile. He's still accurate as anything. He's brilliant as a passer, a little kooky with his interviews, but who cares, right? Bring him in. This is a team that I wouldn't be surprised makes a run to the AFC Championship. Seriously, or beyond. Now, you'd have it for two years, but then in those two years, you could figure out the next step. Maybe it's still Zach Wilson. I think probably not, but like I spoke about with Patty Trainup in regarding... Daniel Jones, we've had some time now to step back and analyze the season as a whole, all right? In the moment when we're analyzing Daniel Jones after the Vikings game, when he played as well as any quarterback could play, really, yeah, you, you tend to overrate that guy in that moment. But now we step back, we're like, okay, what is this guy really worth, all right? And, and you know, you look at, obviously— the good things that he does. But then you also look at, well, he doesn't throw for a ton of touchdowns. He doesn't throw for a ton of passing yards. The team still struggled scoring until that Indianapolis game, uh, the second to last week of the season. So it's, it's not a perfect product, even though he looked darn near perfect in that Minnesota game. I think if you look at Zach Wilson and you don't put so much pressure on him over the next year or two, I don't think he's as bad as we all thought he was after the Detroit game uh, and most notably after the Jacksonville game and after the New England game as well, all right? So put that aside, though. The big thing next year, they have the talent if they have the right guy at quarterback, and the right guy I think can and will be available. They have to figure out a way to make that happen and get Aaron Rodgers into New York. Uh, we'll hear Rich Samini's thoughts on that as we continue. Plus, more of your calls at 1 800 919 3776 on 987 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Four game homestand. They're one and two so far. Uh, they remain two games below 500 on their home floor this season, which has been one of the issues plaguing the Knicks this season. Uh, you look at all the teams ahead of them in the standings the home records 20 and 7 23 and 5 from Milwaukee 20 and 8 16 and 8 that's Brooklyn 22 and 6 17 and 9 and then you have the Knicks in seventh place at 13 and 15 on their home floor in fact in the entire Eastern Conference 15 teams in the Eastern Conference only three teams have losing records at home Hornets Pistons the worst two teams and the Knicks by contrast, the Knicks are 15-11 and 11 on the road, and winning percentage-wise, that is the second-best road record in the entire NBA. And again, it's not going to be an easy chore tonight. The Sixers are red-hot. Joel Embiid is on an MVP uh, campaign for sure. They're 9-1 in their last 10. 
and they're in third place in the Eastern Conference. Want to circle back to the Aaron Rodgers potentially joining the Jets story, which I think is monumentally important for where this franchise is right now. Anita Marks was on before me, uh, was incredibly busy talking Giants with Jordan Renan and Jets with Rich Cimini. The biggest question for me and pretty much everyone else is Aaron Rodgers, and will he come to New York? Will they be able to obtain the future Hall of Famer? Uh, Anita asked Rich on New York game day earlier, what will it take to get Rodgers to the Jets? Well, first of all, I do think they will make a run at Aaron Rodgers. It makes too much sense. Uh, and they'd be crazy not to at this point, especially after hiring Nathaniel Hackett. Um, I think it'll be a conditional offer. I mean, the, the word, the, the big topic of conversation from the people I've talked to is how long is he play? You know, is it going to be a, a one and done situation where he walks off after one year? with his new team, or is he going to stick around for a couple of years? So I think any team that would be interested in would make a conditional offer, say, uh, you know, a a second-round pick this year, and then next year it would be a second-round pick that could, you know, only triggers if he comes back for a second year and then go up if the team achieves postseason success, something tied to his longevity success. Uh, otherwise, I, I think it would be foolish for the Jets to give up, say, the 13th pick in the draft this year for Aaron Rodgers and pay him the $58 million, and then next year he decides, ah, that's it, I'm gone. I mean, that you, you can't do that. And, and I'm sure Joe Douglas is obviously, he's a smart front office guy, and I'm sure he's well aware of all that and wouldn't make a deal that leaves his organization vulnerable. Rodgers, you bring him in with the understanding that it's at least for two seasons. It has to be for at least two seasons. And look, he's going to be 41 years old in two years. He's going to be 39 uh, in December, unless, uh, unless he's 39 already. But he's going to be 41 in two years. So by, by simple, he's not Tom Brady. Nobody is. You figure by then it will be time to move on anyway. So I think if you bring him in, has to be for at least two seasons. What if you don't bring him in, though? What is plan B for the Jets quarterback search, assuming Aaron Rodgers is plan A. Yeah, so they have to get one. They basically come out and said it, you know, which, which essentially is means they're demoting Zach Wilson, and he probably should be demoted after last year. But, uh, no, I don't – knowing Joe Douglas the way I do, I don't think he's going to put all his eggs in one basket. So I am sure he is checking the market. I think that's one of Joe's strengths that he's shown as a GM is just the ability to evaluate the market and get their value – for trades you know trading is one of the best things he does he made some good trades and uh so i think the jets probably have some interest in Carr. i don't get the sense that they're overly interested in him like he's their guy i do believe they're probably talking to the raiders i think ultimately Carr will get released and and so that'll be february 15th when that guarantee would trigger with the raiders i think i don't know if the raiders will be able to pull off a deal Although Adam Schefter reported, you know, that they've agreed to compensation with teams, but they got to get carded, got a no trade clause. So even if he were released, I, I'm sure the Jets would have some interest. But I get the sense that Rodgers is their guy. If they miss on both of those guys, I think then Jimmy Garoppolo becomes uh, comes into play, simply because of his uh, background with with Robert Sala and 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 that particular played in this style of offense. So I think that would be the pecking order for the Jets. 
I know Derek Carr isn't a you know perfect solution, but you have to think about it in terms of what you have right now. What you have right now is Zach Wilson and Mike White, who himself is a free agent. Um, any of those names that Rich mentioned, and obviously Rodgers is and should be at the top of the list. And then you go to Derek Carr, and then you go to Jimmy Garoppolo. Any of those names is not only an upgrade, but it's a significant upgrade over what they have had. I would be shocked if the Raiders uh, are able to trade Derek Carr. And the other thing is, it's not that appealing of an option that you should have to give up compensation. All right, The way the Carr thing is, the way I view the Carr thing is this. Let it play out. If he's available and you can't make a move for Rodgers, then you go after Derek Carr. Rodgers, to me, is the guy you have to have. All right, Derek Carr is not a guy you have to have. So I don't think the Jets, look, the Raiders do not want to trigger the $40 million clause in Carr's contract that comes basically a week from today. So we'll know, uh, well, it's two days after the Super Bowl, I think. So it's basically nine days from today. All right, we'll know then whether or not they can make a trade for Derek Carr. I'd be shocked if they're able to get compensation from Derek Carr because everybody knows that Carr's not going back to Las Vegas. The Raiders have no leverage in this situation. Carr will most likely be a free agent if he is, and the Jets don't think that they're going to be able to get Rodgers. That should be plan B. If Carr falls by the wayside, it's not the end of the world. Then you move on to the next option. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, get back to your phone calls as well. Uh, more Knicks conversation. And don't forget, Bobby Marks is coming up at the top of the hour to discuss Kyrie Irving and the upcoming NBA trade deadline. Pat O'Keefe with you for another hour and change on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Back to the phones we go. Knicks fans out in full force today. Let's go to Tim in New York. Tim? Hey, Pat. Great show, man. Thanks, Tim. Uh, hey, want to, want to tell you, I'm uh, 30-year season ticket holder. I was at the game last night again. And, you know, I, I like Tibbs, but the every late timeout now, he keeps giving the ball to Julius, and it's almost like we relive the Atlanta playoff failures. He dribbles in three and four guys, turns it over, throws how many passes to Hartenstein off his knees. or It's just they blew the game. Then the last thing was we had a foul to give, I believe, and we could have fouled again. We were up three with 3.8 seconds. I mean, it's, a, it's like the fifth or sixth heart-wrenching loss this year. Uh, so what do you think they, they should do, and are there any players that, or any moves they should make? Should, is it time to send Tibbs back? And I don't know. I'm, the, the, the reaction from the fans last night, people were literally getting out of their seats and almost like they can't take it anymore. So love to hear your feedback. It's a tough question, Tim. Thanks for your call. The Tibbs situation is is it a little complicated because I don't disagree with 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 some of your points. Um, and I've said this earlier in the show. At, at the end of games, I think the ball needs to be in Jalen Brunson's hands. And I'm not one of these people. We've had a couple calls on this today who just want Randall out of here. I don't agree with that. I don't think you're replacing his production easily. He's a highly productive player. Uh, different players have different strengths. And even though Brunson has not come through a couple of times in late-game situations, you just want the ball in his hands at the end of games. Um, you hope, look, the Knicks, since Thibodeau got here, and this is year three, the Knicks are so much more competitive than they were at any point since they had Carmelo Anthony in his prime, Tyson Chandler as the defensive player of the year, and Mike Woodson as the head coach, J.R. Smith as the sixth man of the year. This is by far the uh, most competitive the Knicks have been. And now they've been competitive for three seasons. Uh, fourth seed two years ago, 
Yeah, they took a step back last year, but they're competitive again. They are in the playoff picture. The Knicks, before Tibbs got here, went seven years without not only reaching, but sniffing the playoffs. So it's hard to make the case to turn around and jettison a guy like that. However, you do have to look at you don't want him to be Buck Showalter, right? Buck Showalter is a is a great manager and has been his entire career. Um but Buck Showalter, until he proves otherwise, and it happened again last year, he's been manager of the year four times with four different teams, but Buck Showalter throughout his career has been the kind of guy who can turn around your franchise, make it competitive on a day-in, day-out basis, but he can only get to a certain point. It, you don't want Tom Thibodeau to be that kind of coach. Now, is it better than what they have had? Absolutely. But, again, until proven otherwise, is there... Uh, is there is there a ceiling on the productivity under this certain administration? And we've had a couple of calls on this. All right, this that was not the first caller today who said that the Knicks should have fouled up by three in the closing seconds. That is always such a question. Up three, closing seconds. Other team has the ball. Do you foul or do you not? Last night the Knicks didn't foul and it didn't work because the Clippers missed a three pointer. They got the offensive rebound. Nicholas Batum hits the open three at the buzzer. Game goes to overtime. But go back to what was the Knicks' worst loss of the season right after Christmas in Dallas. All right, the Knicks that time up by three. Mavs had the ball. The Knicks fouled Luka Doncic with two seconds to go. And what happened? He hit the first free throw, and then he missed the second intentionally, got the rebound, and put it back in at the buzzer, and that game went to overtime. So the Knicks, if, if you think that the Knicks should always foul, they did in December, and they still lost the game. That's why sports are hard. There's not one specific way to do things. Let's quickly go to John on Staten Island. John, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Um, my gripe is with Leon Rose. I feel like in a sense. So look at what he's done in terms of the draft. He drafted Obi Toppin knowing that we have Julius Randle at the four starting for then he goes and he trades back in the draft and we wind up getting conditional picks for it for 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 the trade back but no real no real no real player coming out of that particular draft then he tra- he trades the number one draft pick for cam reddish who doesn't even get along with the coach who we're going to wind up trading for two second round picks and then when we had a chance to get a superstar here he doesn't use the ca- the draft capital that they accumulated over the last few years to get a superstar player, Donovan Mitchell, you put him on a team with that we have now with the with the level players we have now, then maybe we're talking about potentially cracking the top five or four in the in the East. So I feel like Leon Rose has had opportunities, but he squandered them in a in a lot of ways. And 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 a lot of the the mediocrity that the team is is stuck in is coming from the top because there's no clear direction. Do they want a superstar or they want to develop? Do they want to be a defensive team or they want to be an offensive minor team? There's no real clear direction of where this team is headed, and I feel like they're going to be stuck in this bottom tier of the East or miss the playoffs and not have a chance to get a superstar play in the draft or even move up and contend for a championship, and that's the worst player. Well, John, I think they're a little further along than that. I appreciate the call. I agree with some of what you had to say. I'll say this. The Knicks right now are in much better position than they were the day that Leon Rose took over. As far as the Donovan Mitchell trade, I'm going to ask Bobby Marks about this when we have him on just after the top of the hour, a couple of minutes from now. Uh, If they had a do-over 
would they do the Donovan Mitchell trade again? I don't necessarily think that it was the draft capital that prevented Leon Rose from pulling the trigger on that trade. I think it was R.J. Barrett. But uh, would they do it again? Who knows? Uh, we'll have Bobby Marks on next to answer some of those questions. Talk Kyrie Irving and NBA trade deadline here on 98.7 ESPN New York.